Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Over the past year since Russia invaded Ukraine, Vladimir Putin has created an alternate universe inside of Russia with censorship and lies and headlines that support his point of view. But are there cracks starting to show in the Russian information bubble? And are the Russian people beginning to see through them? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Really pleased to have joining us on the line today, Rob Pachetta, news producer for CNN Digital Worldwide, based in London. As we've been covering the war over the course of the past year, of course, much of it has been communication strategy, both deployed by Vladimir Putin inside of Russia and what President Zelensky has been doing in Ukraine and around the world. And really talk about a tale of of two different universes. And uh, Rob has done just a fascinating deep dive uh, on CNN.com that really looks at this universe inside of Russia. And uh, Rob, can you start by giving us just a a sense of uh, what has been going on during this first year of the war? Hi, Boyd. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, This first year of the war back home uh, in Russia has really been defined in in large parts by Putin's attempts to control what Russians are seeing and hearing and thinking about the war. Um, So within the first few weeks of his invasion, he passed uh, really dramatic and draconian new censorship laws uh, targeting any independent media. It's led to a situation where it is very difficult now, even more so than before the war, to find uh, dissenting views and, and anti-war views um, on Russian media. And, and, and that's having an effect on the population. It, it's meant that support for the war has generally remained high. Uh, but as I found when I was reporting this piece, that there's also a lot of confusion, a lot of apathy, and, and certainly some uh, opposition um, across Russia. And, and, and a lot of Russians are growing tired of the pretty relentless state-controlled media narrative. Yeah, and I want to dig into to several of those components that you raised there, Rob. Uh, and let's start with kind of the, the broad sense in terms of uh, just kind of the, the fatigue factor of the citizens and uh, what they're being served up as it relates to the war. Yeah, I mean, this has been a year of uh, very, very relentless. Uh, if, if anyone who's seen clips from Russian state uh, news media might have a sense of it, but but really, it's it's the views there, and and some of the most popular pundits are incredibly hawkish, incredibly pro-war, advocating in some cases, you know, some of the most extreme possible outcomes uh, in. Ukraine and Russia is a country where two thirds of the population there thereabouts 
do get their their news pri- primarily from those TV sources. Mm. Um, it's had an effect, and and certainly it's it's converted some people. It's kept support for the war relatively high, according to to what we can tell from opinion polls uh, there. But but people are growing tired. There's a lot of apathy as well uh, in Russia, and a lot of people just have tuned out. They don't watch this this kind of. Uh, this kind of output anymore, according to, to what some Russians told us for this story. Yeah, let's drill into that a little bit on this indifference front, because I find that so fascinating that uh, the the indifference is, is obviously a great advantage to Vladimir Putin and those who are driving that narrative. Uh, is it just that they're wearing people out or have people just realized it's impossible to, to do anything? What's, what's your sense there? Certainly. I mean, a few of the people we spoke to um, and a few experts who watch Russia very closely as well all all reported a a similar thing, which is that a lot of people just feel, what's the point of, of, you know, opposing? What's the point? It's it's not worth the risk uh, to uh, go to an anti-war protest, for example, or to be particularly vocal about the, uh, the views again about the war if they're if they're not supportive because nothing will really change. I mean, there's a kind of understanding across the population. It seems uh, that there's not much possibility for for ordinary Russians to have much of an impact on on what the Kremlin is doing, and that definitely suits Putin very well, as you said. I mean, we've seen some scenes of of anti-war protests, but they are rare and they're noteworthy when they happen. But it's certainly not the norm. Yeah, uh, leads me to one of the pieces, uh, components that you had in your piece, Rob, and that is this culture of silence. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, uh, we've covered some that there's somewhere between a half a million to a million, uh, a lot of tech folks from Russia that have left the country. So some people talk about that in terms of the brain drain, in terms of a long-term impact on the economy. Uh, but there's also a flip side to that, that many of these are younger people and people who could actually shift the narrative or to help transform uh, the government over time. How do you see that that balance and what do you think is happening, again, both with those leaving uh, leaving and, and pursuing you know, careers and, and freedom other places uh, and, and what impact that has in terms of having anyone left who actually can protest or raise a dissenting voice? Well, we, we have seen an exodus, as you say, uh, across the past year, particularly around the time in September where, where Putin announced this partial mobilization of Russian citizens. Um, and certainly the, those who stay in Russia, I've talked about this kind of sense of apathy. There, there's, there's, uh, there's not a lot of uh, protest. There's not a lot of dissent. Um, but I think if there was to be a change i mean it's 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 hard to envisage if you're looking at how tightly controlled the media is but something else that came across is that those who have remained in russia are are starting to feel the effects of the war themselves um you know whether it's because they know ukrainians who they speak to or they have children or relatives who are of the age that they uh they might be called up um we spoke to a woman who who lost her job um prices are are going up as as a result of western sanctions so you know if if there is to be a slow shift in in opinion um and a and a swing against putin then i imagine that it it might be those sorts of things those personal impacts on those who have remained in russia that 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 might force it yeah you also reported rob that uh, there are, there are some cracks starting to appear uh, in that information blockade from vladimir putin yeah, and, and sometimes that can be as simple as turning off the news um, and, and having private conversations um, with friends and colleagues expressing doubt uh, about the war. 
Um, but I, I mean, there certainly is the sense that although support for the war does remain high, and it's important to stress that, I mean, this is not a population that, that has become anti-war in the space of the year, not at all. Um, but there, there is a kind of cocktail of different opinions in Russia. There's there's apathy, there's doubt, there's anxiety. Um, and all of that is, uh, which, which, which is particularly noticeable in younger people, in cities, uh, people who are accessing international news sources online and, and who know how to get around the Kremlin's blocks. That's not ideal for, for, for the Kremlin. That's not what the kind of society there trying to create with their control of, of the media. But it's a long way uh, away from seeing whether that, that can have a, a kind of concrete impact in enforcing a, a move from Putin. That apathy, doubt, and anxiety. Apathy, doubt, and anxiety. Those are tools of thugs, bad guys, and dictators for centuries. As they try to control the narrative, as they try to control the headlines, obviously, they're controlling speech, they're controlling thought. And if they can do that with this cocktail that Rob has introduced us to of apathy, doubt, and anxiety, it prevents anyone from leading any kind of counter claim or counter train of thought. And to me, that's all the challenge. And this is one of those that uh, allows us to, to go a little bit deeper in terms of what is going on. I think so many of us are so interested in what is going on inside of Russia. What did the Russian people really know and what do they really believe? Rob pointed out that there is so much silence in Russia. Everyone is afraid to to protest beyond just, you know, maybe a word here or there. Many are afraid to even say what they think or feel or doubts that they might have for fear that they're going to be punished by the government or sent to prison or sent to some retraining camp somewhere uh, so they can be aligned with Vladimir Putin. And so it's beyond the head. It's the ultimate in think again. Uh, you look at the, the headlines and you have to get to what really comes next. And so we're going to stay with the conversation and continue my conversation with Rob Pachetta. Uh, Rob is a news producer for CNN Digital Worldwide. He's based in London, joins us today. Uh, and this is just such an important conversation in terms of the people of Russia, what's going on inside. As we continue the conversation, we'll talk about the young people of Russia and one of those small cracks that is developing within YouTube, which is still permitted in Russia. Stay with us. We'll continue the conversation. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. 
Get deeper insights on the news from inside sources. You're just joining us. We're talking to Rob Pachetta, news producer for CNN Digital Worldwide. He's based in London. And we're talking about the state of information inside of Russia regarding the war by Russia against Ukraine and how social media sites play an increasingly important role in both distributing and fighting the propaganda within Russia. Uh, Rob, you mentioned uh, Russian citizens using VPNs or virtual private networks to get around the state firewalls within Russia and site bans to access uh, sites like Facebook and Twitter. But you also mentioned that YouTube is not banned in Russia and has a strategic place by the Putin government to influence younger citizens. Uh, Tell us what's going on as it relates to YouTube inside of Russia. Yeah, YouTube is a a pretty rare case because most of the Western social networks that you mentioned, you can't get on there. They're blocked in Russia now. But YouTube has become a a really big platform for Russians of all ages and and all across the country in the last few years. Uh, It's where a lot of people get their news. It's it's also where the Kremlin spreads a lot of its own propaganda. So in a sense, it's it's kind of too big for for the Kremlin to block. And that also has the impact of, of giving... Uh, outside sources, uh, alternative media, international outlets away into Russia. Um, And and there are a few platforms um, that are not physically in Russia anymore because of the risks of of reporting there, but but who are uh, are reporting in the Russian language on YouTube and and trying to reach a section of the, the public through there. I want to go back to something you you mentioned a few moments ago, Rob, and that is uh, the the connection that some of the Russian citizens have uh, with either family or colleagues or friends uh, in Ukraine and in other places of the world. How is that continuing to to play out? And has that become the uh, the ultimate fear for Vladimir Putin is that people will see, you know, thriving democracies or freedom or or other things from other places? Uh, does that become part of a of a sea change there? Well, I mean, it's true that a lot of Russians, of course, they, they have friends, they have family in, in Ukraine. These are um, two countries that are right next to each other. I mean, it's important to remember that. And, and a lot of people who move westwards uh, might move might move to, to Ukraine or, or might have before the invasion from Russia. I, I think you're asking about um, people talking to, to people from further afield across the West. Well, I mean, it's, it's important to remember, too, that... Um, Putin has has relatively successfully framed this war, um, and this is the message that's reinforced on on state media every day um, as a war against the West. And and this claim that uh, the government in Kiev is a is a puppet of of the West of NATO, um, and and that has that message has had resonance. Um, so. I mean, while, of course, Russians with connections in the West, they may well hear a, a different picture from those people who they know. But on the whole, uh, Putin has, has has made it clear that Russia is, in his spaceless pretext for the war, that Russia is essentially fighting a war of self-defense against against the West in, in Ukraine. That's how he frames it. And so in that sense, uh, he's actually hardened a lot of opinions against the West rather than kind of creating this space for, for Russians to reach out uh, to the West. Oh, that's fascinating. What's what's one thing, as you've done your, your deep dive reporting on this, Rob, uh, what's the one thing that we're not talking about as it relates to what's happening inside of Russia? The assumption always tends to be um, that the Russian population is is very supportive of Putin uh, and supportive of the war. And when you look at the results of opinion polls, they seem to to reinforce that. But I I think it's important to bear in mind that 
actually getting a true sense of, of public opinion in Russia is really difficult. I mean, uh, pretty much all the pollsters are, are controlled by the Kremlin um, and even the independent pollsters that are still operating uh, you know, they're they're talking to people most of the time who don't want to share negative opinions, who are maybe concerned about sharing with any official um, what they might really think about uh, about what's going on. And so I think it's while it's without a doubt true that support for the war in Russia or the military operation, as they call it, is very high. It's important to remember that the numbers that we see and the immediate assumption that we make doesn't always tell the whole story. Uh, and if you uh, if you if you dig a little deeper, as we've tried to do with this story, uh, you often uh, hear a, a really interesting mix of, of, of different opinions and different emotions. Oh, that's great insight. And then uh, just before I let you go, Rob, uh, what's uh, what are you watching? What is something that may be a little under the radar that you're kind of keeping your eye in as we march into this second year of the war? Yeah, well, uh, that's a that's a great question. I mean, there's so many uh, interesting um, uh, angles and, and and smaller stories coming out of this um, conflict. I mean, this is certainly not under the radar uh, by any stretch. It's, it's probably the opposite. But um, there are certainly fears uh, in Ukraine and and around the West that um, we have a a renewed spring offensive possibly coming uh, from from Russia. Um, a, a kind of second attempt to take a stab at, at parts of Ukraine that they they were unsuccessful in trying to capture um, in their initial invasion, and so uh, you know it's a year that's been marked really by by a pretty remarkable and unexpected uh, defence by Ukrainian forces. But it's important that we uh, we don't think the war is over because uh, there's a there's a very important new phase coming on the on the battlefield in all likelihood. All right, Rob Pachetta is a news producer for CNN Digital Worldwide, based in London. And, uh, Rob, we appreciate you spending some extra time with us today. Uh, Great insight into what's going on inside of Russia and how that's going to impact the next phase of the war. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Boyd. All the best. So interesting, uh, that perspective of what's going on inside. What do the Russian people really know? The fact that the majority of them still get their the bulk of their news from state-run media. So that is obviously controlling uh, what the message and what the conversations are. There's a big cross-section of the population that is just exhausted by it. They don't think they can make a difference. Uh, and so they become very apathetic to it all. Uh, this apathy, doubt, anxiety are all things that Vladimir Putin uses. Uh, a really interesting discussion there in terms of YouTube. Uh, and many people are chiming in saying, hey, YouTube's making money in Russia. Uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, and I think that's true. A lot of American companies, including McDonald's and others, pulled out uh, once Russia invaded Ukraine. So that's an interesting debate. Then you also have the fact that it is YouTube that is getting some of the positive uh, media that's kind of cutting through some of the propaganda into the younger folks there in Russia. At the same time, the Russian government is using YouTube to try to get to the younger people with their version uh, of what they want people to know and what they want people to believe. And and so all of that is just such an interesting mix and what happens uh, in the absence of free speech and freedom of the press. And those are all things that we can look over there and say, oh, you know, poor Russia and oh, you know, look at that. And we have so many things right here at home that we need to have very similar conversations about in terms of freedom of thought and expression and the press uh, and how we interact and have dialogue and conversations with one another. So we will continue to have that conversation and that dialogue as well. 
We're going to go ahead and step aside for some bottom of the hour news, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we've got a great conversation with Fred Bauer, uh, who talks about the Democratic Party and this interesting U-shape in the party that has developed and what it means in terms of policy for Democrats, Republicans and for the country. Stick around. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.